This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. All right. Well, hello, Brianne. Welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like it's been a long time since we recorded. Um, So I'm so excited to welcome everybody back for our, I can't believe I'm going to say season three, Brianne. It's crazy. It's so great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's super fun. I'm super excited. Um, Yeah. So welcome. We have so much in store for you this season. I'm getting super excited, um, getting it underway. And um, before we get started, I did want to remind folks that this summer kind of impromptu, I know you heard Brianne and I towards the end of, I guess it was the end of sort of, you know, last May, um, we had shared that I was doing some coaching classes. So we talked about coaching and I know Brianne is, you know, very close to starting coaching herself. Yay. So we'll have lots to talk about. And in the midst of those coaching classes, I met some amazing people reconnected with some old friends and out of all of that energy and fun came a summer series. (laughs) And so I actually ended up doing a, I think it ended up being like an eight part series with coaches I had met in those classes. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen, if you thought we were totally on break uh, for that summer, uh, think again, there's eight episodes that perhaps you haven't had a chance to listen to. um, And they're all, they're all amazing people. And it was so, so fun and such a privilege to have the opportunity to sit down with them individually because we were in class together. And you know, Brianne, even when you're in a class that tight knit, you just don't have the time to really dig in with one person for, you know, 45 minutes. So um, it was it was super fun to to speak to those. So if you haven't checked, check that out yet, please take some time um, to to tune into that series. And so kind of a good segue, Brianne, we are going to do kind of, I feel like we're doing maybe a couple series this, this season, right? It's going to be a, a season of series. <laughs> for yeah. example. So one thing that we have coming up, so the plan is Brianne and I are going to get us started. So the month of September, you'll be hearing from us and it'll be <clears throat> a variety of things today. We're going to talk about, we're going to do sort of a summer recap as our kids are headed back to school. Um, and I don't know, brand your kids are older than mine, but my kids are still in elementary school. So they sort of still do the, what did you do this summer thing? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. we thought to, to get our first episode going to launch the the season, we would do a little bit of that. And the other thing that's going to happen is um, Danielle Scarano, who you heard from last spring. If you remember, she was on with Carrie Miller. We talked about leadership she and I have actually taken up a 10 part series on leadership and you'll hear lots more about that when she comes on later in October. We're really focusing on paradoxical leadership and belonging. And so we know Brianne from our discussions that, you know, while we as teachers, individuals, parents, whatever your role is, can cultivate and sort of influence belonging in our spaces, it takes leadership, right? To, to sort of really change culture and change spaces. And so we thought, I don't know, I guess we thought season three, it felt right. It felt like the time. Um, 
to start talking about leadership. So that'll be coming up and that is a 10 part series. So it'll run probably from like October till, I don't know, December with a couple of episodes sprinkled in there with uh, me and Brianne around the, the holiday season. We'll do some, some, some coaching and, and things of that nature. And then I think I'm hoping um, some of this is still a work in progress. I'm hoping for the spring that Brianne and I, you know, Brianne will have been through what, maybe two classes by then, Brianne, maybe three, depending on your schedule. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so we're hoping to, you know, integrate some coaching um, with our discussions of belonging and some look backs on leadership. So stay tuned for, I think it's going to be a fun, a fun season. I don't know. What do you think, Brianne? Oh, yeah, I think it's so great. I mean, the leadership series is so appropriately timed. And I think it's nice to to sort of move away from COVID a little bit. Of course, it's never too far. But for that to not be the explicit focus will be nice, I think, for everybody, for us and for, for the listeners. So, yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. And we have some I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but we have some pretty spectacular <laughs> guests coming on this fall. Um, as many of you know, I talk about uh, Peloton, you know, I um, got a Peloton last winter. Brianne also has a Peloton. Our wonderful friend, Lisa Mitchell has a Peloton. So we talk about Peloton a lot <laughs> and I'm so excited that my favorite trainer, um, is actually coming on the podcast. So Christine Derkel agreed to come on the podcast and, um, Iko Bethay from, well, she has her own coaching, um, organization, but she has done consulting for Brene Brown is coming on and, uh, Dr. Laura Shaw is coming on to talk to us about, you know, the brain and sort of think about the brain and belonging and this, this notion of paradox. We just, we just have this awesome, awesome Jessica is coming back. Jessica, mm-hmm. um, your sister in law. Yeah. Anastasia is coming back. Um, if you remember from last year, she came on, um, and had, we had a great conversation. So she's coming back actually with a different, different hat on this time. Uh, athlete and coach to talk to us about, um, you know, her experiences. Um, so yeah, it's just such a diversity of amazing leaders, Brian. I'm really, really excited. Um, and one thing that I've recognized, and I'm sure you see this too, is that when we talk about leadership and this leadership theory series, we're not speaking just about individuals who are in positions of leadership. Right. We do have some coming on. Um, We actually have a president of a university coming on. So she, of course, is in a leadership role. But you can be a leader, you know, in in your role, in any role, really. So it's sort of what are those characteristics of a leader and how how does that contribute to some of the topics that you and I have talked about? So. So yeah, it's a lot, lots, lots coming up, Brianna. That was a good teaser. Yeah. Yeah. Just tried to drop a few nuggets in there. Yeah. Like so, Peloton. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so as I was saying, you know, my kids are headed back to elementary school and I feel like something they always do is talk about what they did at, on summer vacation. And so um, I'm sort of springing this on Brianne. I'm going to be honest. And if you've been listening for any amount of time, you guys know how much Brianne hates having things sprung on her. But I thought asking her about a favorite vacation memory was probably low risk in terms of springing yeah. her something on her. So, so yeah, I want to know, question. Brianne. Yeah, I want to know, like, what's what's one of your favorite memories from this summer? Oh gosh, it was like the best time ever. So it was actually um, at the very beginning of the summer, the kids had been out of school just a few days, and we were coming off a lacrosse tournament and. Um, it was a vacation with friends and we've never done this. We've been talking about it for, I guess, nine years now because our wow. daughters who are best friends graduated uh, from eighth grade and they started kindergarten together. And it's just this group of families that we've become really close with. And for so long, we've been saying, we got to rent a house together. I got to do this. And through COVID, we finally said, like, we really are going to do this. And it was just the best week. It was in June. It was beautiful. It was by the beach. All of our kids are old enough to kind of do their beach thing and they could walk to town independently. And it was just a lot of fun and Mm. truly relaxing, like truly Mm. relaxing and just kind of took a deep breath and, and moved forward from the school year, which was, which was awesome. It was such a wonderful way to kickstart the summer. Mm. That's how about you? Yeah, Yeah, it was, that sounds great. That's, and your, and your girls are old enough that you really can as a parent, take a 
you know, a timeout for yourself, which is really yeah. lovely. So yeah, it was great. How about you? Yeah. Um, so I, I like you, I think I, I was reflecting on since I knew what I was going to ask you, I had a little time to plan. So I guess that's not too fair, but, <laughs> <laughs> okay. but I think, I think for us, the theme this year was beach as well. Um, and beach took lots of different forms. Um, cause we're, we're fortunate enough to live on the South shore. So we are literally a mile from the beach. So we have the beach at our fingertips. And I also have parents who have a place in ocean city, Maryland. So I always take the kids there for a week or two. So we went there and then we spend time as a family, um, the five of us at Cape Cod at a beach. So, I think the theme is the same as beach, just that sense of really being able to relax. And I think my favorite memory of all of that, although there was lots of amazing stuff going on in all of those beach trips is in, when we were in Cape Cod um, after dinner one evening. Um, th- so if you're not familiar, like the tip of the Cape, there's tons of dunes, right? It's lots of dunes on one side, on the ocean side. And we took a, a family walk um, and it's you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good walk. I mean, our youngest, they're six. So, you know, part of it is, do we really have to do this kind of thing? (laughs) Um, But we took the walk and um, I didn't think the twins were going to make it, but it actually, the walk takes you all the way to the ocean if you make it. So this year, the kids, the twins are old enough that they made it. And when we got to, so you come up this ridge on in the sand And if you can imagine, there's like two dunes, like sandy dunes, and it's almost like a V shape that they come together to take you down to the ocean. And as we got closer to the ocean, the sun was just setting and you could sort of within that V, you could see the ocean. And if you peeked around the corner, all of a sudden, I'm not kidding. It was like somebody had staged this, like five seals popped their heads up. And they were playing in the ocean oh and, it, and it was just like the coolest. It's like, I don't know. It was just like the moment you were just like, ah, oh, yeah, this is vacation. Yeah. And our son, yeah. Henry, who's the young, who's six loves, loves animals. And I, I swear, I kid you not. He stood there for, it felt like forever just staring at the seals. Cause he was just so amazed. And so, so it was just a really cool, you know, kind of yeah. moment. So yeah. Yeah. So great. Yeah. <laughs> Take us so, back. Yes, I know. So, so it was a lot of that. And, uh, and I think, and I think the reason, part of the reason we're going to sort of segue into summer reading is because, um, our kid, I can now say all of our kids are old enough where we actually also can sit on the beach and they can play, you know, with them, you know, among themselves. And so, um, this was the first summer I actually read like, I think I actually read like two and a half books this summer, which doesn't sound like a lot to avid readers, but when you have three kids, (laughs) yeah, that's like, that's an accomplishment. So we thought today um, that we would share some of the books that we read this summer and I don't know, just reflect a little. Um, I also think not to, um, you know, Brianne, full disclosure, this is always hard for me, but the other thing that's been on my mind is um, my book is going to be coming out in September. And so I just feel like books abound right now, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. whether we're reading books, writing books, um, that seems to be on our mind. So, yeah. So I'm right. going to let you jump in first, Brianne. Like, do you want to share a, a book that you read this summer that you want to talk about? Sure. But first to just um, let the audience know that we are going to talk a little bit more about your book. So we did the yeah. interview in the spring, which was yeah, fun. And true. then we're going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into some of the chapters. So that'll be fun yeah, um, over I the next so. few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, Carrie and I actually read a couple of the same books this summer, which was awesome to be able to read and (laughs) kind of talk about it like an informal book club sort of thing. And one of the themes that came through for us in these really different books, actually, right, like they're from totally different genres, was this idea of kind of honoring what people bring into a space in that moment. And it came to be when we were talking about the school year coming and this idea of, of like a clean slate and a fresh start. And I think those are two different things. I think we do have the opportunity mm. for a fresh start, but that we do not necessarily arrive with a clean slate. And for me, in, in my experience, just in mostly in last week, um, I'm in that mode of like getting ready for school. So our last summer vacation is over. And as we move through August, we're preparing for Labor Day. And in our house, that means my two daughters and I are all going back to school. So there's this sort of 
momentum shift out of summer <laughs> and into fall with physical things like school supplies and clothes and all that. There's also for me, like the cleaning out of, of things because last year was such a strange year. Cause I mm. didn't go to school. I, I taught from oh, home, right. which was very different for me. So I didn't really have that same kind of ritual. And so for, it's been a while since we've done that. And, um, I just was like, wow, I love getting back into that routine of, of moving and anticipating what's coming. And I don't know exactly what's coming. And what's really sticking with me though, is that I'm not approaching this without last year, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not as though last year didn't happen. I'm not like tearing that sheet out of the notebook and throwing it away. I'm bringing it with me and have the opportunity to reinvent and to do something new. But that experience of teaching and learning online and hybrid and all of the things that went with that good, bad, and otherwise that's still here. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's nice to have the opportunity to, to move past it a little bit and to like pick and choose what we learn from that Mm -hmm. um, and leverage those things. And so that's sort of what I'm bringing to this idea of um, like the experience comes with you, even though you get to start fresh. Mm -hmm. And that came through in (laughs) two books that we read. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can just give maybe a, like I could talk about identity theft. Maybe you could talk about bandwidth recovery. So identity theft is a book by Deborah Meyerson and her son, Danny Zuckerman. And it's a nonfiction book about a Stanford professor who had a stroke and it's her recovery through stroke. She's considers herself a stroke survivor and she is, and she has aphasia, which if you don't know in the speech pathology world is a loss of language. So for her and for so many people who have strokes, they really struggle with their ability to speak afterwards. And um, for her, she struggles with speaking quickly and fluently. So her speech is very slow and halting and she can't communicate as effectively as she did. Her book though, the reason I shared the book with Carrie is because there's more than just that clinical line. So there's the clinical piece, which is a really compelling storyline, particularly if you're in my line of work. There's also this, what she, I mean, the book is called Identity Theft. So it's Mm -hmm. her quest for identity as a person who is a stroke survivor and who was a tenured Stanford professor and she remains a mother and a wife and an athlete, right? And she was, she just, her identity was wrapped up in being the strong, capable and independent woman, scholar, (laughs) matriarch, I guess, of her, all these really important things. And that really changed immediately when she had her stroke. And that's what the book is all about. It's this quest for like, who is she and what did those things mean? And one of the things that I really like about the book is she would talk about um, running. She liked running. Well, why did she like running? You like running. I like running, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was able to identify the things about running that made it so important to her. And then she was Mm -hmm. able to maybe find those things and activities that were possible for her Mm -hmm. physically that, that were um, like, she could access that getting your heart rate up and feeling like an athlete and maybe having some solitary time in other ways. Um, So in other words, the experiences that she had and the identities that she brought to the stroke didn't go away when she had the stroke, right? Mm -hmm. She turned this new page, but those things are a part of her and she had to reinvent. She had to figure out how she could work with that. And I think the common humanness of that experience is what made me want to share the book with you you know, because it's just, it's so powerful. And it talks a lot about belonging. I mean, she uses the word and she, you can just feel it as she Mm -hmm. and her son write the book. So totally recommend the book. We're using it in classes that I'm teaching and you and I have aspirations for it. I know there's so so many messages, you know, cause I, I have no background, you know, speech pathology and all of that. Cause I had to even ask you like when she used a couple of words, I wasn't hundred percent clear. Right. So, so that's not my area. And yet reading the book, I literally could have like dog eared or underlined, you know, every other passage because the universality of what she's describing, uh, it's just there. Right. I mean, yeah. she's talking about in the context of a stroke, but you could move that into different spaces and, and stay, say similar things. I really thought when I was listening to you, Brian, and I don't know if you thought of this as well, but this idea of, I love how you said sort of this fresh start 
clean slate, you know, the, the sort of the old and new, like the paradox of the old and new, right. Um, really sort of is interesting to me. And I think what I learned from reading this book, identity theft is that, you know, she talked a lot about sort of the steps of, of grief. Right. And I think that part of the grieving process is that paradox of old and new, right. The struggle, because what she shares is that in the beginning, she is desperately, and of course, trying to think about how does she get back to who she was like her it's like it's a it's a fight to get to who she was and eventually she does what you were just describing which is it's an integration of the old and new not a return to the old right and so to for me that sort of thinking about that is so critical um when we think about our students when we think about people who come into these spaces and you and I have talked plenty about well, what is belonging and whether you're looking at Jensen or Baumeister or Brene Brown or whomever, you know, it's all about being seen. It's being seen and being reflected in the spaces in which you find yourself, right? And if we don't acknowledge the journey, right, the what we're bringing into these spaces, the struggles that we have, imagine the amount of conflict that these individuals have as they enter into these spaces. So they're coming into new spaces with other identities and they hit that conflict, right? And so it's our responsibility to help them, <clears throat> excuse me, integrate, you know, the the new with, with the experiences they bring. Um, I think similarly and differently. Um, so there's another book that, um, Brian, you were just on fire this summer, like recommending books, maybe you have, like, a blog that lists books. Cause I feel like Brian was recommending, and this is another one, um, recommended by Brian. It's called bandwidth recovery. And do you know how to pronounce the author's name? Cause I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think it's Sia Versheldon. Versheldon. That was my guess. I just I didn't so. want to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, it's Ver Sheldon and this is an, this is an amazing book. I will tell you if you don't have tons of time, it's a short read. There's a lot in it, but it is a short read. So it's definitely a good one to pick up. And I was trying to think about how to, to sort of summarize this amazing book. And I found in the introduction, she talks about, um, so essentially she's talking about majority students as compared to non-majority, which would include people who are you know, gay, LGBTQ community, people of color, um, Hispanic or Native American, poor. So this is cut across different kinds of demographic variables. And she says in this book, I assert that these students, meaning the um, minority, the uh, minoritized students are qualitatively different from majority students who come from backgrounds of relative social and economic security they are likely operating with only a small fraction of their cognitive resources available for learning, given their other responsibilities and concerns. And she's talking about those other responsibilities and concerns being anything that ranges from systemic racism, work obligations, family obligations, community, and she even says the mere survival in the face of lifetime of being Black, Hispanic, poor, lesbian, gay, any a member of any non-majority group in the United States. And so, I mean, there you have it, right? It's, <laughs> it's this notion that we, as you said in the beginning of this conversation, Brianne, yes, you get a fresh start when you start a new grade in school, you start a new job, you come to a new place, and you bring all of that Right. Um, and or not even bring you face all of that, you know, whether it's structural racism or something else when you enter that space. So it's really incumbent upon leaders, anyone with power, right? Leaders, teachers, individuals, decision makers to acknowledge um, um, what what these individuals are bringing into these spaces. So that this I mean, bandwidth recovery for me. So she does this lovely job of she talks about the sort of issue at the aggregate level, and then she offers individual chapters for the experiences of different groups of people within what she's defining as this um, non-majority group. And so it's just it's a she does a really beautiful job of articulating 
what she sees as the different experiences of these different groups and as importantly, the implications for these groups that are facing and carrying these, these burdens. And so it just, again, it was another book for me, Brianne, where you and I have been writing about belonging, talking about belonging, you know, and, and integrating strategies and things into our classes. And so she just offered more language and examples and perspectives and really as a gay white woman, I recognize that I have a, I still have a tremendous amount of privilege. And so it was really important for me to listen to the stories of other, you know, non-majority individuals to, to remind me and to help me to keep working on what can I do better, you know, knowing these other things. So, um, and then of course the, I guess the, the last third of the book, is interventions like so so if you're looking for ideas for how to do this work she does actually which is really lovely she does give you some really really tangible i don't know if any of them spoke to you Brian, but she gives you some really oh, yeah. tangible interventions that i actually am hoping to try <laughs> this fall um were there any that really spoke to you yeah a couple so um and I think that chapter or that section three is what makes this book unique from others. So I yeah. think a lot of books that we've read define the problem. I think she defines the problem beautifully in a really succinct way. And it's well supported. I just love this book. Yeah. Um, she talks about these socio-psychological underminers. And maybe that's a term out there in the literature, but I didn't know it. Um, mm -hmm. And those are like the microaggressions and the belongingness, uncertainty, things like that. Yeah. And then the, the third part is what can we do about that as teachers? She's really talking about educators here. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you could certainly generalize this. And I have an example of, of that in a sec. But some of the practices that she talked about very concretely are really around growth mindset. Mm -hmm. So um, she she uses language like not yet versus not so when I you're giving just, back, <laughs> I was just um, looking at that, that page. I love that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And I, you know, I don't use that exact word, but I really value formative mm -hmm. feedback. Mm -hmm. um, and like with grading, I try not to assign numbers mm -hmm. until the very end, until I have to. Rather, I'll do like check, check, plus, check, minus to give you some sense of where you are and then load up the papers with feedback. Yeah. And it takes the students a while to be okay with that. Um, but it's this whole idea of like, you're going to get there. You're just not there yet. And you shouldn't be there yet. If you knew how to That's do right. this, you shouldn't take the course. Yeah. And there's, there's a learning to that. Um, yeah. So that was one thing. I really liked how she says she uses a two day grace period for any assignment, no questions asked mm. because she recognizes that sometimes those other factors are so overwhelming that they just can't meet that deadline for whatever mm. reason. So why not just give everybody that free pass? Yeah. And I don't, I, I mean, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use it for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. Background, you know, whatever your background is, I think yeah. everybody can just have that. Um, it's just sort of an acknowledgement of life outside of the classroom and what you're bringing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so those are two things that I like. And then the other is this idea of a goal and a pathway. Mm. So let's talk about goals and when she talks about goals, it really reminds me of discussions that we've had about values because she's like, what are your goals? Not mm -hmm. what are your parents' goals? Not what are your teachers' goals? And I think it's really hard for students to articulate that. They're mm -hmm. very good at giving the list of things that you'll need for graduate school admission or, you know, that kind of thing. But like, yeah. no, what do you really want to get out of this? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It takes some work to get to that place. And once you get there, then the next question is, well, how are you going to do it? That's right. To articulate the goal and articulate a couple of pathways, ideally. Yep. Um, so yeah, those are I, some things that I really liked. Yeah, I love that. And I think the um, the goal, like goals or intentions and then the plan, right, are so mm -hmm. important. And I think it's a little bit different, but I do think it's related. She talks about... Um, I wouldn't call it a high hope syllabi, but that's what she refers to it as like this, the language that you put in syllabi, syllabi. And it's funny because I think I've shared this with you. I've always been very sensitive to sort of the syllabus and how students react to the syllabus. So I really appreciated reading that section. In fact, I tell my students almost every semester that as you read my syllabus, I'm sure you're getting a little bit of syllabus anxiety is what I've coined mm -hmm. because you're like, how in the world am I gonna do everything that's in the syllabus? 
And what I love that she says is why not explicitly in some places, rather than just listing all of these really challenging and impossible, seemingly impossible assignments, have some language in there around, you know, how much you value their feedback and that they'll be able to do this. And even chunking assignments as if it were scaffolding, right? It's kind of like what we've done in some of our courses, Brianne, where it's like, you might have to do a 20 page research paper. Maybe that's the final assignment, but the, the, the three leading up to that are an outline, the research questions, a draft of it, right? So you're giving students again, some grace and some opportunity to do a little bit, get some feedback, like you were talking about formative feedback, right? So it's, it's building in opportunities to show what they're, they're doing rather than like, I mean, when I was in undergrad, it was like you had a midterm and you had a final. So that was a lot of pressure on two assignments. Right. And sometimes it was just a final paper and you wouldn't hear anything. So I love her notion of um, just how you, you know, how you present the syllabus and how that first impression can make all the difference. And I remember Carrie last year, I think it was last year, maybe the year before I was I had a student who was really struggling. And I remember that I shared her experience with you because I wanted your feedback on it, your insights. And you said, (laughs) you're like, it's like you're asking her to run a marathon and she isn't even ready to run a 5K. Mm. And that resonated so much with me. And she needed to go way back, like, mm-hmm. like the couch to 5k program. Yeah. Yeah. Like the fundamentals of writing. Let's yep. talk about the structure of this paper. And that's where the not versus not yet thing, I think mm-hmm. resonates with me. Yes. Like this student was definitely not ready to submit a polished marathon level paper. That's right. Um, but could we show her some success and could we show her that there is a pathway to that, mm-hmm. but you've got to, you've got to move through those 5k sort of training programs to get to yeah, um, totally. the marathon. So to me, it all connects and that analogy helped me. And I, that's something that I will share with my students, I think. And when you look at the syllabus, it may feel like a marathon yeah. and maybe you've never run before, Yeah, um, but we're gonna, you know, we're going to chunk it. So, yeah, I think there's a, um, there's a, part in my book where I'm talking about this very thing and this idea that, you know, every name, name, whatever the final outcome is, whether it's a beautiful painting, a a photo, a journal article, a book, an athlete, an actress, whatever that final thing is, that final piece started out as an ugly, messy draft, either who didn't know her lines who had the wrong color scheme picked out, you know, was blurry. Um, you and I know needed lots of edits or reorganization. Right. And I think sometimes we do our students a disservice by showing an exemplar that's polished because then they're right. like, well, how in the world am I going to get, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I agree with you. This, this idea of feedback. Um, I love this sort of not yet and really, really being able to key in on where different students are. And again, I feel it goes back to our last conversation, the last theme, which is if you understand where a student is coming from and what their experiences have been and what their expectations have been, perhaps that informs where they are. If they're a couch to 5k or if they're a 5k to half marathon or they're ready for the marathon, right? Whatever the metaphor is. So there's, it's, it's not, it's you know, knowing about someone's experiences isn't just to make them feel like they're connected in the classroom. It also contributes to their success in whatever they're doing in that space with you, whether it's, you know, being a productive member of your work team, a student, a faculty member. This isn't, I guess, and this is sort of soapboxy and I'm not going to apologize for it, but it is soapboxy. And that is, I guess I get tired of individuals thinking that a conversation around belonging and a conversation around student experiences is only about the social emotional side, right? It's never an only in my view, it's all integrated. And if someone is struggling, it's often because we're not attending um, to those other experiences. So I I was, I think what, what for Sheldon says is it's a prerequisite. Like you actually can't learn. And we've talked about this in past seasons, but like neurologically, when that bandwidth is taken up, you can't learn. Right. right. So it's, it is so critical. Yeah. Yeah. Another reason, I mean, she calls it bandwidth, which I really love. It was a really Mm -hmm. good visual for me. 
um, you know, other researchers have, have talked about cognitive load, right? Like right. how you're sort of spending your, your cognitive energy, if you will. Um, I will say, I loved when you said about the goals and intentions, it made me think, so I'm lucky enough that, um, where I work this year, they're, um, providing me with a coach. And one thing that the coach has asked me to do, and it's so funny, Brianne, cause I'm using the awesome journal that you got me for my birthday is <laughs> she keeps asking me, you know, what are my, we keep, it's not that she keeps asking me, we keep going back to what are my goals? What are my intentions? And what she has me doing is it's okay. You have your goals or intentions. What's the plan, right? How are you going to get there? And so she's having me journal like daily sort of to think about what are your goals? So it's, it is important, you know, that we, we help our students realize those goals, you know, it's, and it's not just about graduating with some degree, right? There's other, like, that's of course, one of the goals, but what do you really want to do? Right. And how are we going to help you get there? So I very much appreciate um, that you mentioned that And actually in the book that I wrote in the very beginning of the book, um, I include a visual that um, a doctoral student actually designed for me that it asks the reader to name their intentions before they start reading the book so that they have some intention. So it's all related, which is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think the other thing that came up for me, because I, in addition to books, um, I think our audience knows by now, Brianne, that we all, we love podcasts. We love podcasting and we love listening to podcasts and Brene Brown and her sisters did, oh, so good. I so know, good. did this great series on, I don't even remember the name of it now, but it was essentially going back and reading um, all gifts about, imperfection. yeah, the gifts of imperfection. And so they broke it down into several uh, episodes where they talked about the different pieces um, of this survey that I would recommend that you take. And uh, it was just, it was just so, so good. Um, and so I would really recommend that you check it out. And what came up for me, and I think it's all, I'm going to try really hard to thread it all together, Brianne. For me, it still comes back to one of my own, one of my own values, which is authenticity right? At the end of the day, for me, it's all about authenticity. And I have a dear friend at Hopkins, actually too, um, who we've been, we've sort of been, it's kind of like you're joking, but you're serious. And we've been saying, you know, we just need to stand in our truth. Like as long as you're standing in your truth, you know, people might get upset with you, but if it's your truth, it's your truth, right? Like, so to me, standing in your truth is about being authentic. And so I think, you know, if we're coming to the table with a a syllabus that reflects these, these scaffolds, these, um, you know, not yet kinds of terminology. We, we're sort of, and also, you know, in, in bandwidth recovery, she talks about as an instructor, you know, inviting feedback, right. And admitting that you make mistakes and that it's okay. I think if we come to the table in that way, authentically, really interested in our students, I think it also, um, and I think Brene Brown has said this, it really does invite others to do the same. And so if for no other reason, remember that bringing your authentic self creates, you know, permission, so to speak, for other people to be authentic. So um, that's the other thing that came up for me as I was doing all this reading this summer. So I don't know, Brianne, if you have any thoughts. Yeah, that. I mean, for sure, authenticity keeps coming up. I would say another thing that came up for me um, is this idea of systems. And I mean, it's kind of a bigger conversation for another time, but last summer, summer 2020, my reading was like explicitly about anti-racism mm. because that's what was going on. And I yep. was like, I really don't know enough about this. And it was all about learning about systemic racism and injustice. And I, it was so heavy and important to read. And it was, it was deliberate. This summer, my reading felt um, less, um, sort of intentional around that. Mm -hmm. And yet it kept coming back to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So bandwidth recovery, you know, these students are arriving with feelings of inferiority and um, they're, they're part of non-majority groups because of these systems that we live in mm -hmm. and even identity theft, you know, she talks about like ableism and that's mm -hmm. a thing that's a big part of the like clinical work yeah. in my field. Um, and so I, I just kept coming back to the fact that we are in these systems mm -hmm. and we have to keep recognizing that yeah and hmm. 
to me, it feels like something that I want to continue to talk about with my students because I think it can feel really isolating, you mm -hmm. know, to exist as a student in, in these circumstances and to just say like, it's not just you really. I mean, there's a system created and that's yeah. the one you're living in. And that maybe is why this is so hard. Yeah. Um, so that, that kept coming back to me. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. I'm glad you brought up. I was, when I was running this morning, I was listening to um, Terry Gross and if I'm, I'm sure everybody knows fresh air, she's, yeah. she's, she's yeah. a household name for sure. And she had on, I'm trying to find the gentleman's name. Cause I, um, I can't remember off the top of my head. Here it is. So Adam Harris, he used to be, um, he used to be at, I think he was at the Chronicle and now he's at the Atlantic. He's a staff writer at the Atlantic. And he just wrote a book called the state must provide. And it's all about the continuing racism um, and segregation and how this had such huge implications in higher education and how we're still seeing this and he seeing this played out. <clears throat> and the reason I bring up that book, I had not planned to bring that book up. Um, the reason I brought the book up is because you talked about systems and I think the higher education system, if you, even if you just listen to his pot, the podcast with him, the interview, his discussion of, you know, moving from segregation to integration and land grant institutions and how um, predominantly white land grant institutions were given, you know, at the state and federal level, I mean, just so much more money than the historically black colleges. And so even when historically black colleges were present and important, they were still incredibly underfunded. And so he just talks about the different court cases and the different acts that were passed and how, you know, states like Kentucky, which had the first integrated college, they funded, um, you know, the historically black college. And he traces over the years how initially it was $500,000. And at the time, early 1900s, this was a lot of money. And every year it like went from 500,000 to 150,000 and then down to 15,000. And these other colleges were just getting. So anyway, it's, it's just another example that helps us to remind us that, you know, this, we need to be sort of thinking really largely about, and some of what he's talking about, I was doing the calculation when I was running Brianne. I mean, we're, we're talking about in a lot of cases, 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, like this is not, you know, when we talk about the, the legacy of slavery, I feel like that does it a disservice in some ways. Cause it feels like, well, slavery was forever ago. Right. And, but the implications of all of those policies, so much of it happened 50 years ago. I mean, 50 years ago, that's not that long ago. I mean, some of these significant court cases in the 1970s. Yeah. So, well, and then the privilege that extends from that, you know, we live in it. I live in it every day. Yep. And that was something that really came to light for me last year, but also in the book. So on the, in the bandwidth recovery book, she talks about an activity, like a physical activity. She called it the step forward, step back activity. Mm -hmm. And I like the idea of it. Um, but I, I actually wouldn't do it because I think it would potentially embarrass students who didn't step forward yeah. a lot. And I, I was really worried about that. I think, in, and for people listening, it says step forward. If your family has owned its own home, um, step back. If either of your parents did not graduate from college, step forward. If you or anyone in your immediate family is a doctor, lawyer, minister, teacher, or other professional step back. If you did not vacation outside your home state before you were 18. Mm -hmm. So it's all of these essentially privileges, right. That are granted due to the systems in which we live. Yeah. And I love the power of it for the privileged students, mm -hmm. but I don't like that it would leave other students literally in the back of the classroom. Like I worried about that. Um, but I do think that I could do it quietly and maybe have like, they could have like a tally on mm -hmm. either side of a paper and you put tallies on something like that, where, yeah. um, it's not as much of a public thing, but you know, the systems lead to privilege and that leads us to, yeah, you know, success. And I, I don't know, I just, I can't get out of it. I think it's all yeah. so related. I can't, I can't separate it all. 
Yeah, I agree. I've actually seen that activity done. I was not doing it. I've seen it done. It was a large group of students um, outside and the facilitator did it and it was pretty amazing. And then they did like a debrief afterwards to ask the students how they felt to be in the different places. And mm. I think with the right facilitator and with the right setting, you can you know, guard against or mitigate some of what you're worried about, but you're right. I think, you know, you really, I think in really small classes where there's only one or two, you know, minoritized individuals represented, it makes it trickier. Um, I think if you have larger groups, it might be possible, but yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, so I think, you know, Brianne and I would highly recommend, you know, identity theft, um, bandwidth recovery. I also read um, a book this summer and also listened to the podcast. Um, Emotional Agility was another one that was incredible. And I think it sort of, again, weaves in here in a different way, talking about, you know, things like toxic positivity, this notion. And again, it goes back to authenticity that this idea of toxic positivity is that if you try so hard to, you know, see the silver lining and everything that you're actually hiding yourself just as much as you're, as you are when you're, you know, pretending not to be um, happy. So just again, a really, she's out of Harvard and she's an amazing speaker and and writer as well. And you, didn't you write, read another one, Brian, are you reading something, Uh, the master plan or something? Yes. It's so good. It's called the master plan by Chris Wilson. And Mm -hmm. The subtitle is my journey from life in prison to a life with purpose. Mm. And it was the common text for our first year students this year. That's what it was. And it, it just walks hand in hand with the bandwidth recovery book. And it's fascinating um, in terms of, you know, briefly, it's, it's a guy who was put in jail at 17 because he murdered someone when he was trying to defend himself. And it talks about his history brief, right. You know, his, his history until 17 and then his journey in prison during which he developed a master plan. So he just decided that things were going to change. He wanted to accomplish things. And much like bandwidth recovery, he had a goal and he had a pathway Mm. in a place where it's like, how do you even have the strength to have goals? And what is the path? Because he had a life sentence. And this was during the political time where in Maryland, they, I mean, they had a, like a slogan, like life is life. You are not getting out. Mm. Uh, And yet he did. And it was really, or is this just incredible story of, adversity and so much of the not yet versus not. Mm. And he's like, you tell me that I'm not, it's just not yet. I'm going to get there. And I'm, I mean, he earned every degree possible in prison certificate, just kept educating himself. He taught himself Spanish and Italian and started book clubs. Like Mm. he facilitated belonging in a place where there was belonging, but that belonging is often associated with gangs and street violence. Mm. And he facilitated belonging around learning and about improving yourself and having a master plan. And it, it's really, really an incredible story. And he's still doing good work in Baltimore. So that's awesome. Um, I yeah. Love that. Yeah. Great so, book. so I think we will, it was a lot. And I think we could go on because we clearly love these books and um, yeah. could talk maybe for days about them. So I think we'll wrap up there and suffice it to say, I, you know, I think we wanted to talk about these books because they're again, right in our sort of sweet spot for the topics that we love. And, you know, again, what's really wonderful about doing this kind of reading is that it just, I felt like it gave me additional language and context in which to think about these topics and just continues to deepen not only my passion, but my understanding of the things that, that we, we read about and study. And so I think it's really apropos that we are doing, you know, a 10 part series on paradoxical leadership, because what I think Brianne and I have noticed is that you have to struggle with these paradoxes. Right. And we talked about the old versus new and, you know, the gentleman in the master plan being in prison, which feels like it's like the end, the end, whereas he found a beginning. Right. And um, and I think also for, you know, the the author of identity theft, the same thing. It's like finding, being able to find a new path from a seemingly really difficult space. And, and what I've, what I have come to realize is that, you know, life is full of paradoxes. I love paradoxes, but the reality is, and the reality is life is just full of them. And what I'm noticing in my students and in my friends and colleagues is that 
our ability to effectively navigate and identify those paradoxes often is a good indicator of how we're managing the rest of what's going on in life. And so part of helping with managing those paradoxes, I think, comes from leadership. And so we're going to spend 10 episodes talking to some amazing individuals who are leaders broadly defined. And so I am so looking forward to those conversations. Brianne, I'm looking forward to getting into some coaching discussions with you as you start on your coaching journey. And um, it's hard for me. I guess it's partly imposter syndrome and partly just me being modest. I'm also looking, I'm hard, it's hard to admit, but I'm also looking forward to talking about my book that's coming out. Yeah. It's um, I actually have a title, so that's good. Um, it's called <laughs> <laughs> dancing with discomfort, uh, learning to notice name and navigate our in-between moments. And it's all about those transitional periods and moments and sort of what they feel like, what they look like, how we often respond, how we might respond better to, to, you know, to effectively navigate those. And yeah, I think it's all related, all of what we're going, what's going on in season three. And so Brianne, I'm super stoked to work with you, to, to chat with you again this, this year, it'll be super fun. So. Oh, me too. Let's bring on the new year, the new yeah, season. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for hanging out with us for gosh, almost an hour, Brianne. Um, thanks for hanging out with us and, and talking about these books. I hope you will pick up at least one of them, um, whether it's bandwidth recovery, identity theft, the master plan, emotional agility, um, or check out the podcast that I mentioned about the gentleman who just had a book, um, the Terry gross. That was a great, great podcast this morning. So, all right, everybody, I hope you have a great day and stay tuned. There's lots more to come this season. Thanks. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.